Hello again, friends. Welcome in for mile 18 of the Seconds Flat Running podcast. We're going to do a little trail talk with friends in this episode. We've got a round table of some of our friends who love to get out and hit the trails rather than the pavement, have competed at all kinds of distances, so we'll hear their stories from the trail and some advice for you if you're looking to get into trail running. We are also going to preview this weekend's NCAA Cross Country Championships. And Benjamin, my man, I know you're excited about that. Ah, it's my Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl Saturday, the week before Thanksgiving. Before we look ahead, let's take a look back at a couple events that have happened since we last spoke to you. Of course, led by the New York City Marathon and Benji. Our picks weren't actually terrible this time. Finally, right? I'm proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. You did a great job. You had the women's winner, Mary Katani, in 2.22.48. Smoked the second half of that thing. 66.58 on the back half coming home and just absolutely overwhelmed the field. We saw a large group of about seven or eight quickly whittled down to three once Katani made her move. And the two who went with her really paid the price, fading outside of the podium later on. I had Vivian Chariot as my winner. She actually came back, moved up into second place, so we flip-flopped there. Third place, the American defending champion Shalane Flanagan is back with another podium finish, and I had her there. And you had Molly Huddle going for third, right, who actually finished fourth, so you were right there on that. I am proud to say I nailed the top three Americans here with Flanagan, Huddle, and Des Linden going 3-4-6. We had four Americans in the top seven with Allie Kiefer finishing seventh. So another great performance by the women, even though we didn't have a victory this year. Really strong American field. So let's take it from the American women's perspective first. What do you think this means? What do we take away for American women going forward out of New York this year, Ben? Uh, I think we just saw what Shalane showed us last year and Desi showed us this spring that they're going to be podium contenders whenever the American women are lining up at these world major. They're a real threat. I would agree. I think it proves it's not a fluke, right? As right. There was some this idea of a one-off because of the weather in Boston, and in reality, with four in the top seven and several of them threatening at different points in the race, I, I think this actually solidifies the American standing as competitors in the majors next year and in the Olympics the following year. What about Shalane? What happens next for Shalane? Make your early prediction. Retirement. Yes. I hate when you predict that. I think based on the press conference afterwards, she spoke about serving others rather than running herself, and it sounds like she's ready to make that transition into a little more coaching with the Bowerman women and Coach Jerry Schumacher. I'd say this, though. If she comes back, in my opinion, she is the favorite at the women's trials, even a year plus from now, and is the biggest American threat to win a medal in the marathon in 2020. And I know that race is going to be run under certainly difficult conditions. There are already worries about the heat in Tokyo for the 2020 Summer Olympics Marathon. Talks of moving the race up to super early in the morning. Talks of wetting down the course throughout the day. There was even a prediction by one Japanese media outlet that someone might die during this marathon. It's that hot. That might be a bit overstated. We'll see. I hope not. But I think she is the biggest threat there and the favorite at the trials at this point and our biggest threat toward winning another major next year. She could be in Boston in April winning that race. Who do you pick post-New York looking back at the entirety of the year as the leading American woman who has emerged among our marathoners? Ooh, who has emerged? Yes, saying for 2019, 2020 going forward, who do you think is going to be our leader? Um, My thought instantly goes to Molly Huddle. Yeah. She's competed at a high level. Um, She proved this weekend she can do it at the marathon distance. Mm -hmm. But then you have veterans like Sarah Hall, 
yeah. who have been running out of their mind well this past year. She did have a, a recent struggle in Frankfurt, but you're right. She's, over the past calendar year, going back through winning an American championship last December, she's been fantastic. So you'd say Molly Huddle is your favorite looking ahead for the next American. Yeah. I think it's a safe bet, and I think she, even though she has finished third before at New York, I thought this was a better performance, and I think it showed progress. It was that bounce back from Boston that you said was going to mentally debilitate her. <laughs> but I, I agree. She looked she looked pretty good overall. I just I really wish Shalane would stay around a little longer because I think she is still the preeminent American women's marathoner. And let us not forget another name, someone who we didn't see this whole year, Jordan Assay. She's still got a lightning quick time from Chicago last year. And by the time we roll around to the Olympics in 2020, she might be the number one threat. And the other name you can't forget is Amy Craig. Absolutely. Amy Craig, who did not run Chicago, she actually was at the USATF 5K Championships in New York City the day before the marathon. So before we move ahead to the men's marathon, let's look back at that as well. On the women's side, it was Emily Sisson with a big victory, easy win in 1538 on a really tough course in New York City. But the exciting race was the men's race. Oh, absolutely. Your guy, Paul Chalimo, out kicks Shadrach Kipchurcher in 13.45, beats him with a lean at the tape. Chalimo, I want you to make a prediction right now. We'll probably at some point have to do an entire Paul Chalimo episode based on your love of this man. Gosh, that'd be wonderful. Paul Chalimo, next year at World Champs, or the following year at the Olympics. Does he win a gold medal? I'm going to say no. Okay, I agree, but I thought you might go for it. What does he what does he do? What's his best performance? I think we'll see him consistently get silvers and bronzes. Okay. He's just that's a solid pretty guy. good. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't I haven't seen anything yet that's like screams Olympic champion. Yeah, there hasn't been that next breakthrough, but he's got a lot of personality. He's fun, he's talented. And I loved his quotes leading up to New York City. In the press conference, he said that he saw Jeffrey Camor, and he could tell just by looking at him, that's a fit man. He's ready to win a marathon. You and I both agreed. The three of us, including Paul, were wrong. Lalisa DeCisa in 205.59 for the win. Neither of us had that one coming. We thought the defending champ was a really, really strong favorite to return and, and get another victory. DeCisa is, of course, the 2013 Boston champion, the year of the bombing. Man, he was gritty. Oh, that was the toughest last 400 oh, I've ever God. seen. So if you haven't watched the race yet, in the 20, early in the 26th mile, he and Cam War have separated from the field and... DeCisa rips his winter cap off and starts to just hammer. Jeffrey responds by doing the same exact thing. He tears his hat off and goes for it. But he can't hold on to it. And so DeCisa breaks away, but meanwhile, they're coming at him from behind. We have Jeffrey Camor actually slipping into third. DeCisa has to hold off another move, and that's what Ben's referring to in the last 400 meters. He hangs on really fast time right about where i predicted the winner would be i just had the wrong name but cam war ran despite his late fade much faster than his victory last year and he looked so controlled the whole way through i thought he would respond to the move but he couldn't for the men your boy chris derrick gosh what a beautiful man he ran a and good a race. race he ran a really good a race PR. He, he ran a good race and a PR. You picked him as the top American. I picked him as the fourth American. Where did he finish? Wasn't he the fourth American? He was the fourth American. Thank you. I despise you. Yep. Neither of us had the top American, though. I actually, my pick became the third American, but our guy, Jared Ward, he's back. Daddy J. Woo! Sixth place in 212.24. Kind of bringing back some of that era of good feeling from the 2016 Olympics in Rio because we haven't seen any signs from him in recent races that would suggest he's in this shape. 
And he had a beautiful quote after the race. He said he knew going in, this thing was going to hurt. I'm going to struggle a little bit. And to paraphrase, the training had been its best. He's had some injuries. But he said it was really about how hard do I want to fight and how tough do I want to be. And he set that from the start line, and he said, I'm going to out-tough everybody as long as I can. And there was a nice little pack of Americans there with Ward and B-Watt and Fobble and Derek. And um, while we still are searching for this other sub-210 American man that we thought might be Parker Stinson, and by we, of course, I mean you. I still believe it will be. I still believe it. And in some Parker Stinson-related news, I read here recently that he is leaving Coach Brad Hudson and has already moved on to a new coach. I don't know who that is. We'll find out, let you know. But he is going to take a new approach for the coming year. I I agree with you. There's still a lot of potential there for Parker Stinson. Great weekend in New York with the 5K champs and the marathon. Wonderful weather. Beautiful race. I don't know if we're going to get the same with the weather this weekend, but it's sure as heck going to be fantastic NCAA Cross Country Championships, Division One Saturday, November 17th. Coverage starts at 11.30 a.m. That's on Flow Track from the University of Wisconsin at Madison, Wisconsin. As an aside, love that the coverage is on Flow Track, but NCAA, do better. Let's get this thing on ESPN, Fox Sports, something that more people have access to that we don't have to pay a monthly subscription to get this race. The real news, though, is the big show. Division three at Wisconsin Oshkosh, 12-15 and 1-15 starts. My Otterbein Cardinals, men's team making their first national championships appearance since 20-04. They also have Claire Lamb. She was the women's regional champion, pride of Granville, Ohio. Cardinals are ready to soar this weekend. I got them in the top dozen teams on the men's side. I think it's going to be a heck of a performance. I'll take North Central because you always take North Central always. in the men's D3 meet. So that's 12-15, If you have flow track, check out the D3 championships as well. Good luck to the Cardinals. In the Division One meet, the undercard, yeah. we'll, we'll call it. We'll talk about that as well. we got some big storylines here. Northern Arizona University men are going for a three-peat. Can the University of New Mexico women show some depth that has been their one huge flaw all season and get a women's championship? Do the Brigham Young University men break through for a title? How will Wisconsin protect home turf? And what does our hometown team, Furman Paladins, do? The girls are back, as well as Aaron Templeton on the men's side. Furman's men and women swept SOCON championships this year, sixth straight season. Remarkable year again for Coach Gary and the Furman program. Benjamin, what are the biggest things you're looking for at the D1 NCAA championships? Gosh, I think we're going to know a lot about the race in the first two kilometers, Mm -hmm. especially on the men's side. Yep. If we're going to leave this down to a more tactical affair, if NAU is going to get to chopping wood and carrying water, what's led them to success? And going to the front and pushing it from the gun. I actually think it's the same story on the women's side too because the New Mexico women could be ready to attack early and try to really punch this pace because that's what they did at pre-nationals with some success from their top two. So with that depth issue though, Mm -hmm. would that be so smart as to have their number five possibly buried in a pack that is strung out? Absolutely, that's a great question. I would like to think they're racing for a team championship, and that's got to be their focus. What's the best path for them to get there? Is going low sticks one and two? I mean, it's possible at the top. Absolutely. Is that their best path? Is a little more strategic racing better for the people farther back? They do have the advantage with their three, four, and five of knowing what their one and two probably want to do going out right away, and they can react to that and know what's coming. So I do think 2K in, as you said, both men's and women's race will have an idea of what style of race is going to unfold. Yeah, and I think we learned from the Nutty Comb Invitational, the one and two for New Mexico don't want it to be tactical because they were scalped. 
Yep. Um, but then we saw the tables turn at pre-nats when they actually pressed the pace. Yep. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Coach Franklin decides for his women. So this is the third big meet on this course again this year, just to remind everyone. You had the Nunny Cone invite, you had pre-nationals, now you have the national championship all in Madison at the University of Wisconsin. So you have a lot of people who are very familiar with this course and familiar with one another based on racing here and in regional championships because several of the regions are really power-packed. The mountain region for both men and women is really, really deep. Out west, you have a really strong region. You want to make some picks? Absolutely. Where do we begin? Okay, let's go individual champions, men's and women's. We're going to give you our top five finishers as we see them, starting with our champion. Ben, would you like to go first? Sure. Would you like the men or the women? Uh, Let's start ladies first. Ladies first. Your women's champion is? Weenie Kalati. I am also going Wayne Kalati from New Mexico for the win. Go ahead and give me two through five, and then one woman who you believe is outside your top five but could win the entire thing. Absolutely. So at two, I have Ali Ostrander taking Kalati to the line, just like she did so many years ago with, oh gosh, with Molly Seidel. It wasn't um, that many years ago. It was like three years okay, ago. Okay, it was a little while years ago. Years ago. I will interject here. I also have Ali Ostrander wow. picked second. Okay. We have not talked about this at all. I That's got Ali awesome. O second. I think she's the one who can hang with her. Go ahead, third. Alicia Monson Oh, this can't, this can't be happening. <laughs> I'm taking Alicia Monson third as well. I think little home track advantage here. She ran super well here at Nuttycomb. Mm-hmm. She's been great throughout the year conference region meets. I think she is going to put herself in position to run up front with these leaders, but I don't think she has quite as much gas in the tank. But I agree. I don't like it, but I agree. Go on to number four. So four and five, I have a little teamwork. Okay. Danny Jones getting fourth for Colorado. Yep. And her teammate, McKenna Morley. Okay. Sneaking up for fifth place. Okay. I have Danny Jones in fifth. We skipped over somebody at fourth. Who do you think it might be? Brio? Yeah. Edna Kurgat. It's Edna Kurgat from New Mexico. I'm going to take her fourth, Danny Jones fifth. Who is your outside the top five but could win this whole darn thing pick? Louisville's Dorcas Wasiki. Okay, that's I like that pick. Champion at the ACC meet, Dorcas Wasiki from Louisville. My sleeper pick, Oregon's Jessica Hall. I would love that. Yep, I think she could be the one that I don't have in my top five who wins this whole thing. So while we're here, let's just go ahead with the women's teams then. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Who's your women's team champion? Well, I went first individually, Okay. so you go ahead. I'm going to take Boise State. I chose Boise State. Oh, I'm, I'm taking Boise. Good depth after this top five. Alio at second in my prediction, and then I think we're going to see a couple more Boise names pretty quickly after number five. And I think all five will be in the top 30. It'll be dominance by Boise State. Wow, okay. I I like it. I'm going to take Oregon second. I see Oregon packed up, again, similar kind of to Boise, but under my predictions, I see Boise with the lower stick with Alio. So I'm going to take Oregon second. What you got? My second choice was kind of based off my individual predictions. Yep. With that teamwork I was talking about, Colorado. Four and five, I have the Buffaloes. Okay. Colorado at two. I'm going to take New Mexico third. As do I. Okay. I will go Colorado fourth. I'm going with Arkansas. Okay. So you have Oregon left out of the top four then, correct? I am calling a duck implosion. Oh, wow. Quack, quack. Oregon's off the podium. For what it's worth, I had Arkansas at fifth, and I would not be surprised to see them in the top group. They've run really well this year. Yeah. Didn't face the competition the last couple weeks that these other teams have, but well, I don't that's know how just significant part of where they are. Regionally. That's exactly right. I don't know that that's that geography is really significant in what happens this week. Again, we both have Kaladi at the top from New Mexico as our individual champion, and Boise State as our team champion. 
I love that we just chose Flowtrack's number six ranked team to win it all. Oh, were they really? Yeah. Where are they in the national poll? Aren't they third, I think, in yes. the NCAA poll? Flowtrack mm-hmm. puts them sixth. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad we can find some disagreement with them. On the men's side, you want to go ahead and pick the individuals first? Badger, Badger, it's Morgan McDonald. We are three for three on our agreement. Wow. I say McDonald keeps the championship right at home in Madison, doing Dane County proud. The Aussie gets the win. Morgan McDonald from Wisconsin's my pick. The best hair in the NCAA. That's a bold statement. I wouldn't fight it, but it's bold. Got to be bold to win a national title. Fortune favors the bold. Who will be second? Edwin Kurgat of Iowa State. Okay. I did not go there. Why don't you go ahead and round out your top five? Yeah. Uh, four and five. I, or three I'd love and to four. hear three. Three and four. Yes. I have the teammates from NAU, okay. Tyler Day, just edging out his teammate, Matt Baxter. And at five, I have Nick Hogger of Portland. Okay. I am going Tyler Day second. Grant Fisher of Stanford third. Surprised I didn't hear him in your top five. A lot of people would see him as a potential favorite to win. I'm going Matt Baxter from NAU fourth. So we were pretty close there with our NAU guys. And I'm going to the SEC for my fifth place guy. A team that did not qualify as a team, but preseason we were talking about could they be on the podium. Any guesses who my fifth place guy is? Alfred Chalanga. Yeah, I'm going with Chalanga from, from Alabama. Roll Tide as my fifth place finisher. Who is your out of the top five guy who might win this whole thing? Eastern Kentucky's James Segura. Oh, okay. Spicy. I like that. Yeah. I mean, he took the guys to the line at, or took Morgan McDonald to the line at the Nutty Comb Invitational. Yeah, absolutely. And he's been undefeated since then. That'd be some drama. I like that pick. Thank you. I'll tell you who I really wanted to go with, just because you don't think he can do it, is Joe Klecker from Colorado. So I'm a big Joe Klecker fan. I am fan. all aboard with Joe Klecker this weekend, only because of you. I'll tell you next who I really wanted to pick because America deserves a champion like this, Cole Rockhold, Colorado State. Hey. We've been on that since the beginning. Get that guy a single. But I'm going to take Rory Linkletter from BYU. He is my off-the-board pick. I know you don't like it, but let's put it out there. He won pre-nats last year. He's had a really solid season. BYU, maybe things are a little different this time. I understand the link letter pick, except it's a cross-country nationals meet. Yes. And he's yet to show up to one. This is this year, not the past. Gentleman's wager on our off-the-board men's pick. Yes. The one who finishes higher in the standings wins. Agreed. So the guy who has the the off-the-board pick the lowest has to eat six of the taquitos that you left in the refrigerator that are supposed to be frozen. Half dozen taquitos to the loser. I love this wager, except there are two taquitos left. You ate all the rest of them? Yes. Oh my god, I can't believe you're even standing for this. How about the loser of this has to run a 50k within the year of 2019? No. Let's one up that. A 50K plus you eat a taquito each K. 50 taquitos. (laughs) 50 taquitos. (laughs) Or how about this? You just eat the two taquitos that are left in the fridge at the halfway point. I cannot guarantee I will not get hungry between now and nationals. Oh, my God. But if they are still there, you have yourself a gentleman's wager. Gentleman's wager. Fantastic. Team standings, who will be your champion in the men's field. Oh, the Lumberjacks. Absolutely. It's a repeat for Northern Arizona. I agree. They will bring the title back to the Ponderosa in Flagstaff at 7,000 feet elevation. Number two? It stands for Bring Your Uniform BYU. (laughs) I'm going to take Brigham Young as well in second. Yep. Number three? Defending the home turf, Wisconsin. Wow. I am in total agreement with you so far. We are in lockstep. And number four? Don't eat meat leading up to the meat. It sounds like you're taking Portland. Portland Yes, Portland Pilots. I am going to disagree. I'm going to take Iowa State fourth. 
I like the potential advantage in some weather conditions. I don't know how relevant that really is, but I like what, what Iowa State has done all year. We know they have not been at 100% of late, but especially under your scenario, when they have a potential top two finisher that you put out there, mm-hmm. Andrew Jordan's going to be sneaking around the chicken coop. Got a lot of high 13th hopes. Thirteenth for the pride of Pataskal, Ohio. But they are missing Festus Legat their number two runner. Sometimes in situations where you're missing a key piece, everybody becomes just a slightly better version of themselves. It's about how you handle the adversity of loss. If you try to step up and replace what he did, you're asking too much of yourself. But if you can be the best version of yourself and push excellence, I think they still have five guys who can get them in the top four. That was beautiful. Thank you. I'm going to be bold real quick, though. Please do. And I'm going to say he dresses out and he shows up on the line and uh-huh. starts the race. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know that there's much to lose making that decision. And I know nothing of his current physical status. So we're just going by what we know, what we've read. So I'll take Iowa State fourth. Uh, to go back through that, we both had Morgan McDonald of Wisconsin as our individual champion. And we both have Northern Arizona University as your team champ coverage this weekend starting at 11:30 from Madison, Wisconsin. Super excited for the NCAA Championship meet and we will definitely give you a wrap up next week so when you tune in for turkey time on Thanksgiving and are listening into Seconds Flat with the family, you'll have the results if you are unable to see the meet. Now, let's bring in the round table of friends for our interview we recorded earlier on trail running some tips and just some memories from the trail all right welcome in for a little trail talk among friends this evening i want to introduce everybody we have at the table here for our trail discussion first on my left mr scott stringer scott how are you Good evening. How are you? I am wonderful. It's good to have you. Scott is a finisher of the Paris Mountain 50 miler, the Iron Horse 100 miler, and bouncing back off ACL surgery and his recovery right now. Indeed. Training for Mount Mitchell and the Georgia Death Race. How's that ACL feeling? You know, it was doing good. I just came off a trail run two, weeks, two weeks ago. And, uh,. Took a little bit of time off and hoping to get back into it here shortly. Wonderful. It's good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. He is one of three recent finishers of the Shut-In Ridge Trail Run in Asheville, one of the great trail runs on the East Coast. Another, to his left, sits Mr. Kyle Kugler, friend of the show, with 30-plus ultramarathon finishes under his belt. Ooh. A winner of six of those contests, two-time finisher at the Western States 100. He is fresh off the Chicago Marathon and headed up to the beautiful DuPont Forest in Western North Carolina this Friday for some 50K action on the trail. Kyle, how are you, big boy? I'm doing well. I'm done. uh, Had some fun on the roads, ready to get back on the trails for the uh, the wintertime, but feeling good and... uh... I am uh, honored to be a part of the uh, the team here. It is a pleasure to have you. Thanks for being in. Sitting directly across from me, it's Father's Day every day for the brand new <laughs> papa, Mr. John Bruno, with 30-plus ultra and trail race finishes, six-time 100-miler finisher, including Vermont and Leadville back-to-back, which are only 34 days apart. He is targeting UTMB and hopefully, fingers crossed, because we're going to find out during this recording, North Face Endurance Challenge competitor this weekend, pending smoke in the Bay Area, but hopefully heading west, John Bruno. John, welcome in. Hello. How are you, buddy? Awesome. Fired up for this weekend? We'll see. Yeah. Training been good? Yeah, training's been all right. That's a very confident man, too. I like the way you said that. To Johnny's left, you know him, you love him, our adorable co-host, Benjamin Ricardo Sessions. Benjamin is the 12K course record holder on the trails out at Paris Mountain. In case you don't remember from earlier discussions, he absolutely obliterated (laughs) James Brooks's previous course record. Nice. (laughs) He is also an aspiring Coconino cowboy, Benny. 
trail talk. I mean, I think it's cute that you have the past here, but the future is here to speak as oh. well. Oh. <laughs> Shots fired. All right. Good. Good. Okay. <laughs> and to his left, my right, immediately adjacent to me, Mr. Dane Simmons, three-time finisher at the 100-mile mile distance with experiences including the Western States 100. But more importantly, you may see him on Saturday mornings and easily in one of two places. That's right. This is the guy blasting by you on the doodle trail and hammering reps at West End Elementary School. <laughs> Dane Simmons, how you feeling, big boy? I'm feeling great. That West, West End Elementary School track is very fast. It is fast. What color's the track over there? It's actually an asphalt track. Asphalt. So, always quick on asphalt. Yes, I've no always spikes that on that track. You. Yeah. And actually, our first meeting, we brought this up, how quick you are on asphalt. <laughs> All right, boys, let's just start right here. Why trails? What drew you to the trails? Who wants to hit that first? Now, I grew up in South Florida and a lot of pavement, not much else to run, and then the three of us went to college in Jacksonville. Who are the three of you? There's a, there's Dane, a crowd listening. <laughs> uh, John Bruno, myself, and I went to, to UNF. And, swoop. Uh, swoop. Swoop the loop. And the trail system there, I think, was right on campus. And how many miles do you think that was? I mean, it wasn't more than maybe five, six miles at the most, mm-hmm. but it kind of got us off the road and uh, got me running for the first time in some actual real nice, I guess they had some single track. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where I first got introduced. I don't know about you guys. I'd say that sparked our interest was... Just being on the trails off the road, it made it a lot more fun. Benji, how about you? What got a kickstarter for you? Was it the James Brooks rivalry? Uh, that probably initiated it, but I think the draw to it was that it wasn't like the track or the road in the way where you're chasing time constantly. It was more of like, I don't know, you got to experience something new every time you were on it. Scotty boy, how about you? You know, why not trails? <laughs> Fair uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> Some men see a trail and ask why. Others see that trail and ask, why not? Why not? <laughs> you know, it's just the uh, the beauty of it. You're out there in, in areas where you're where are you going to go unless you're hiking or do some trail running. So One just, with nature. Just being out. I'm a wood guy by trade. I've always said that. <laughs> so uh, I love being out in nature, seeing trees, enjoying what Mother Nature has. Beautiful. For the people who are uninitiated and listening who maybe haven't run a ton of trails... What are some of the big mental and physical differences you see between the trail and the road? Johnny? I think my favorite part, uh, I've got just a strategic mindset when I run, so especially with races. But in particular with trails, I think my favorite part of trails is being able to track your feet, your footing. So my whole mindset is not where is my next foot going, my next footstep, but where is my next second and third going? And that's a lot of fun for me uh, on the trails. And that's what's really addictive to it is that uh, you don't, so like when you're on the roads, you're focused on where's your next foot, you know, footstep going. Whereas in the trails, you've got a plan two, three, four, five ahead. And uh, to me, that's just more stimulating. It's a lot more fun. Yeah. To that point, I notice on the trail, I feel lost in time and space a little bit differently than I do on the road. It, it almost passes by so much more quickly because you're embracing every movement and really locked in and mindful of the moment that you're in. Mm-hmm. Anything else, guys? Uh, other places that you notice some of those physical and mental differences when you're on the trail as opposed to your road work? Dane, go ahead, buddy. Well, I really like, and <clears throat> some of us, uh, we ran in college, and in college it's you're always going for speed and who can run the fastest and we spent years on the track doing track workouts and it was what was that 400 all right what's the next 200 going to be all right rest up we got to do another 400 and you knew to the second what what you were supposed to run or what you were hitting the trail side of things is a little bit more laid back it's a little bit different um like john was saying you're kind of out there tracking uh your footsteps and you're kind of in nature uh running with uh the trees and scott's world there Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't you don't care what the next 400 is going to be. You're not running you know 62 second quarters. Uh, you're really just going out there and, and just kind of enjoying it, not really worried about time. No pressure. It's a lot more relaxing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very chill. Yeah. It's just it, it's just way more fun. Scott, I think when you like look up when you're in a trail, typically you can't see that far ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You on a road, you can kind of look up. You can potentially on what road you're on, you can see miles ahead or see a large hill coming on a trail, you kind of need to look down to see where your feet are, feet are going to be. Yeah, you have to um, react to that. So I think it just comes down to being on a trail, and before you know it, you're 
few miles in, you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that happened. Yeah. And, it can be uh, a little daunting on the road when you see ahead of you for miles and miles. It becomes yeah. a bit overwhelming. And it takes forever to get there. And yeah. On the trail, you just look at a tree in front of you and pick the next tree and get to that one. Keep going. I think I've learned on the, on the roads, I'm not the fastest guy. I'm a, I'm a, a bigger dude. Can't run with all the skinny cats out there. But I feel like with the trails... There's a little bit of finesse to it. You mm-hmm. kind of you can be as aggressive as you want to, which could you know lead to you ending up on your stomach, or you know it's it's a way to to kind of it almost neutralizes everyone a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And the way that you take a turn, or the way you take a hill, it, it kind of is a way that you can keep up with smaller dudes. And we'll get into some of those technical aspects here in a little bit about how you actually run trail. But great point, community. I think that's part of what makes trail running unique. Uh, what are some of the aspects of the trail scene that separate it just from road racing? The funniest thing is my first ultra was with Dane up here. It was the Buncombe 55K that we did. It's no longer a race, but it was a great race. You shut that thing down, didn't you? <laughs> that was, yeah, it was a, kind of an unofficial timed event. Yeah, it was an unofficial was? timed event. Yeah. And so that was a big lure of it as well. It, was, it wasn't a race you signed up for. And you, so you talk about community. So you walked up the day of the race and she had the race director, forget her name, but she, she had a coffee tin, an old fashioned coffee tin that had been opened up by a a can opener and it was donations only. Mm. And that's how the race started. Right. And so we were Mm. like, oh, okay, I guess we'll do that. We put our names in, she gave us a number, we ran the race and during the race, people would They'd ask us, hey, how are you doing? Well, we're doing great. You know, this is our first trail race. Oh, you'll love it. Wait till the end. Wait till the end. And we're like, well, what are you talking about? So in terms of community, they had at the finish line, it really was not a big production. We didn't even know we had finished. We just ran up a hill and she was still sitting there at the table, you know, the entrance table. And she said, congratulations, you guys finished. And then there was home cooked food at the next table adjacent to her. And then after that, everybody shared their own beer. Like everybody had brought beer. So to me, that was a really fun introduction to, to the, the trail community. Very cool. Yeah. On that about that race, which, which was random, is you kind of started um, in this big clearing in like a, like a picnic area. And there's like a trailhead there. And I remember she goes, hey, is, uh, and she ran the race too. Oh, yeah, um, and she right. goes, hey, is everyone ready? Yeah, it looks like we're ready. Okay, let's go. Start your walk. <laughs> and that was it. It wasn't a huge production. It wasn't a big start line and fireworks going off. It was just a low-key. Everybody was super friendly and it just checked on you. It was awesome. Yeah, a bit of a back to why we do it, right? It, yeah. it doesn't have to be a big production. It doesn't have to be about all the bells and whistles at the start line or at the finish or the finisher's medal. It's just because you love to be out there and do it with people that you enjoy running with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other yeah, thoughts on yeah, community? Yeah, I mean, I grew up doing... Uh, 5Ks and kind of always doing like those road 5Ks and you're always looking to the person next to you and be like, I'm going to beat you or is this guy going to beat me? In the trail community, you just don't get that. There's no animosity. It's just more of, hey, you're doing great. You might pass someone on the trail and you always give them a a thumbs up and say, you're doing great. Keep it up. And likewise with other people when they pass you. So I just think it's a really laid back, no pressure community. There's no corrals. Everyone's kind of starting <laughs> yeah. out. Everyone's, you know, it's, it's, it's come as you are, and uh, everyone's out there for different reasons, but it's just basically you, no one's really, you don't even know exactly what exactly the distance is going to be, but at the end of it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a great way to be around friends and just be outside and enjoy. And usually most of these races are in cool areas to explore that you'd want to just go hiking anyway. So it's, I, yeah, it's that's one of my favorite, just favorite cool parts vibe. about it. Absolutely. Benji. Yeah, so kind of building off what Kyle said on the last thing of how it makes it a more even playing field. I can remember a summer where I was getting back into running and Todd Roberts, who used to work here, was like 50 pounds overweight. And he took me out to Paris Mountain and just kicked my ass. It made zero sense. I was like 140 pounds and he's probably like 240. Yeah. (laughs) Just the fact that it could bring two people so different together and be able to run together, it was really cool. A little taste of old man strength there from, from Toddy. Yeah. Oh, on the beard. <laughs> Dad bod. Yeah. Mm. Let's get into a little bit of the meat and potatoes here. Training experiences. And we'll attack this at a few different levels here. Let's, let's start with different distances. 
Let's go around the table real quick and say farthest you've ever run on a trail. Scott, you want to take that first? What's the farthest you've done on a trail? Hmm, like single track or just any kind of any, trail? Any trail experience, yeah. Well, I did complete a 100-mile run in Florida, but it was like part trail, part part gravel. Okay. The one thing that got me there was the, uh, I've learned the sugar sand. Sugar sand, yes. Sugar sand. That was terrible to run through. I'd much rather run on any actual trail than running through sugar sand. Yeah. But uh, run all distances on trails. Mm. Man of all distances. <laughs> Kugler. Yeah, 100 miles uh, is the longest I've done. And I think the first one, you know, scared the the heck out of me. So I spent so much time hitting the trails and, and realizing that with this event, it's not like the marathon. You don't have to get that 20-mile run in. It's just spending time out there getting used to uneven footing. So probably leading up to those 100-milers, no more than maybe 20, 25 miles at the most okay. is what you need. Yep. John? It was... Mount Massanutten, the race I did with Kyle, was about 104 miles. I really should have gone first. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone 21 miles on trail. Yeah, good. Dang. I hit a uh, long run of 100.2 miles. Mm. I think, is that the official distance there? Yeah. Um, for that race, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, preparing for that distance, to build off what you said, Kyle, we'll go back to you first. You thought somewhere in that 20-mile range was sufficient training up for something even to 100 miles. What were the other key ingredients you thought? Was it about time on your feet on a trail? What were some other things, some strength stuff, anything that you felt like more than just running? Because obviously when you're preparing for a trail race, one, you're preparing for something that even at an equal distance on the road, it's gonna take you longer on a trail. Mm -hmm. And two, you're talking about 100 miles, you're not going out every weekend and pounding 100 miles to get ready for the 100 miler. You might that, do that. First that, one, you that might. first one, I was scared to death. And uh, yeah, I was getting in a bunch of miles and then um, just realizing, looking at the topography of the race, you know, you don't need to, to get 90, 100 miles weeks in. It's just, it's, it's the specificity. It's, yeah. it's figuring out, getting that vert in. Just doing hills and, and time on legs, like you were saying. When we would train, I don't even think we'd actually even use uh, a GPS. Just kind of let's go out. We're gonna hit. Go out for two. Go out for three hours. Don't care how how far you're going or what your pace is. It's just it's getting that time on the feet. Any other thoughts on that, Keith? Dane? Well, I, I just want to bring up <clears throat> random question for Kyle. So his first hundred miler um, was Western States, but he was living in Florida at the time. I want yeah. you to tell the podcast listeners what you did. To get that elevation, yeah, I was so scared. There was a uh, a, uh, a trash dump about a, uh, a maybe ten minute drive from my house that That's they converted converted into a park, and I think it was probably about six hundred feet of climbing you could get, and would go out there just two or three hours and just doing repeats on that thing wow. on the weekends. Just hammer that big hill at the trash yeah, dump. Yeah, I was doing long nice. distance with Marie at the time. I had nothing else to do. Nice, <laughs> man. I like it. So. Would you guys agree elevation is the key thing to prepare for, the changes in elevation as opposed to just the distance? Does that play a big role in your training for the trails? It does. I would say um, depending on what race you're running, either how flat or how hilly it is, uh, you have to get that up and down. Um, and I would borderline say, and let me know what you guys think, downhill is yeah. borderline more important. Why is that? It, it takes a you gotta beat your quads up yeah you, you it's a unique to, pounding right? you do and you have to and mm, speaking of sh uh, shut in yeah. ridge is I, di I didn't do nearly enough training no no, no <laughs> don't, don't sell yourself short no, of tape. Dude, you were training. It, sorry, your no, shape no, was prime I'll get very <laughs> I didn't do enough downhill training for yeah. that race so oh, it was yeah. all downhill um, that West End Elementary track's flat it is all the way around <laughs> yeah so uh, doing that race um, it's my I had enough food I was hydrated enough my sodium levels were fine it was my quads that were really the the factor there that controlled how fast or slow I went that day and you said feet um, right yeah had that but, you know it's just your, your feet get this pounding and you know back to what Kyle said about just time on feet it doesn't matter how far you go even if you walked for three hours that's three hours of time on yeah. your feet yeah that that you normally don't experience in a day-to-day -day. and the next day you're gonna feel it so just getting that experience and almost teaching your feet hey I'm gonna deal with this and it's going to be okay. John, what kind of key ingredients did you put in the mix here for your 
upcoming event? What did the key pieces of your training look like? The biggest thing for me was time on legs. So switching from Dane and I went to college at University of North Florida together. Um, yep. And we ran. It was exactly like how fast did you run that mile? What did you do that day? And then switching to the whole mindset of, well, how many minutes were you on your feet that day? Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest thing. And that's actually a little bit easier. It takes a lot of stress off of training for these types of races, especially trails, because you can get rid of the, the alpha dog in your head where it's like, oh man, I ran 70 miles that week, where you kind of just let it go. And it's a lot more uh, like stress-free when you're training for, for a trail race because you let go of the mileage and you just think of time. I'll do that with some of the athletes I coach even on the road too. And regardless of distance, there's some mm -hmm. value in shifting your approach and calculating in minutes. What about pacing? Because that's a totally different game than anything you've done when you're going out for a 5K, a 10K. A trail race regardless of distance, how do you mentally approach pacing, Benjamin? So as a course record holder here, yes, you are. <laughs> yes. James, did you hear that? Yeah, <laughs> at James Brooks. So clearly I'm not going as far as these guys. But when I did decide to make my assault on James's record. Yes, and it um, was an assault. Oh, it, it was a murder. Yeah. But like I ran the course several times to learn like which patches I needed to run quickly. Like it's the only race I've ran a five oh three mile and an eleven minute mile. Mm -hmm. and, and just learning when I could attack was a big thing. Yeah. Um, seeing where the elevation change was, knowing like if I hammer here, it's going to level out. I'm going to be able to recover quickly before we go down the switchbacks and things like that. Yeah. And Kyle, you made a comment like that to me on the run we had recently about your experience at shut-in just a couple weeks ago yeah. in Asheville about the ability of some of those guys to attack the climbs and when to go and when to and how hard to attack the flats and that yeah. kind of stuff. Well, I think um, just spending the last few months just pounding the pavement and, and, and getting into to marathon mode, it's it's one speed. Your RPMs are just, you know, mm -hmm. you're redlining the whole time. And with, with trail running, you kind of just have to learn to, to take what the trail gives you and, and figuring out how to drive that stick shift and knowing when you need to drop it down, you know, when when you can start power hiking, when you can actually um, actually run through it. I mean, those guys have been shut in. They don't, they don't hike at all, but the, us mere mortals, you know, if it's something that you can, you know, if, if it's something that uh, is, is so steep that you have to hike, you can actually, you know, save energy for catching that guy on the downhill. So it's, it's kind of all reading the trail and, and all that comes with spending time on the trail and, mm -hmm. and kind of figuring out exactly how your body does with 8, 9, 10% grades. There's certain things you can't replicate on the road right. for what you're getting into. I think trail run pacing has a lot with being present, too. Like yeah. you just said, dealing with what's right in front of you. That's all I was going yeah. to Like, be present. I would argue at times you can throw pace out the door. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. I've had, That's a good way to put it. I've had races where I've done a mile in 20 minutes and felt like I was going to keel over just because you're going straight up. And so... It's hard to, once you start getting on trails, it's hard to say, oh yeah, I ran this at this pace. You know, it can be completely different to a race with not as much elevation change or anything like that. I got a random story that regarding pacing, and this is uh, when I lived in Florida, in Jack's Beach. Bruno was living um, up here in Greenville and said, hey, there's this race, uh, Mount Mitchell, you should do it, let's do the marathon. And at the time, I was fresh out of college, young gun. Um, had just run a sub three marathon uh, for the first time, so I was super pumped. And he goes, "Run this race, you know, see how well you can do." And in my head, I was like, "I'm not gonna run over four hours. That's just, it's just not gonna happen. You know, I, I can run faster than that." Within minutes of starting Black Mountain Marathon, I have never been more humbled in my life. And I, from that day on, I threw pacing out the window. <laughs> I gladly very excitedly ran well over four hours that day and I could not be more excited to have finished a trail run yeah. in my life and so from that day on I does not pace really doesn't matter as long as you beat the cutoff times set, <laughs> set by the race directors it's really and, and you you're finish. an expert at that yeah I've pushed lots of those yeah. um it's a good day I mean it really is yeah so. you have to shift your goal setting mm -hmm. and and get out of the oh I'm like you said, trying to run a sub three marathon, it's a whole different sport. Yeah. But when you shift your goal setting to, yeah, like it's no longer a time or pace thing, it makes it a lot more fun. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's way it's more fun. It's so much more yeah. stress-free. It's so much more stress-free. And I think that's the big lure for me with trail running is, yeah, you, you know, you can talk about pace and time and all that stuff all day, but at the end of a trail race, you don't talk about pace. You talk about what was your experience. Mm. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> quote that on the wall. We will quote yeah. that. Love it. Hey, um, Take care of it down. Some of these, these races you're in, we're talking being out there for the entirety of the day and the night, and maybe we're going into the next day. Training in the dark for this stuff. Let's give the listeners some tips because you have to be able to run in situations that we typically don't go out and run in. Advice for the Seconds Flat listening audience. Go ahead, Dane. Uh, well, I'll start off by saying if you're doing a race that it, where you're running really any amount of time um, in the dark, not just a, like a 5 a.m. start where you get like an hour uh, but something a little bit more significant um, where you're going to be running through the night and maybe into the next day, you have to train in the dark. It's just it's just like if you're doing a, a race that's uphill, you have to train on the uphill. It's very important. You just have to do it. The other thing is uh, the, the footing gets very important at that point. Um, your pace, it's very difficult because um, you kind of have to slow down to see your footing, see where you're going, but you feel like you're running very fast at night. Is, is that what you guys say? Like, yeah. You can't really tell. Like uh, like a 10-minute mile in the middle of the night with a headlamp on does not feel like a 10-minute mile. I mean, it, it feels like a 7-minute mile or a 15-minute mile. It's, mm-hmm. it's very kind of crazy. cool part about it is that it actually teaches you how to place footing. Yeah. So it makes you slow down on purpose. Your perception is that you're going a lot quicker, <laughs> so you are a lot more focused like straight down mm-hmm. because – you know, you just have that little window of what your headlamp is, right? So that's what you do at night or in early morning is you obviously have to have a headlamp. And so your uh, stream of focus is only about like a four foot window, right? So it teaches you very quickly how to place your footing and, and slow down appropriately. It's something that you're just going to have to get kind of used to. And uh, I, I'm not very good at it, but like Dane is saying, it, it, it feels like you're running sub seven and you just got <laughs> you just got to get comfortable with the fact that knowing that your pace is going to drop down and, and just got to stay positive with it. But and yeah. I will say this as well, you have to run with a headlamp. You have to see what, where you're running. And just for the listeners out there, bring extra batteries. <laughs> I mean, there's just, yeah. there's nothing worse than having, and I remember it last year at GDR, luckily I had extra batteries with me. It was raining. It was probably 3 a.m. in the morning, and I was in the mud changing batteries to my headlamp because mm. I couldn't see, and luckily, I forget who it was. Scott might have been with us at that time, but someone else had stopped with me and was shining their headlamp on my, yeah, I think it was me. on my headlamp so I could change the batteries. So extra batteries if you're running in the dark. You're Jim Walmsley. (laughs) You're done before this. Yeah, I just think it's cool to be out there in the dark. I mean, you're listening to to all the sounds and things that uh, you don't hear during the day. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's crickets or you know frogs, whatever it might be. Sometimes, you know, I've been mid race and I'll just stop. There's no one around me. I'm by myself and I just listen for a minute or two. And it's just neat, and uh, sometimes I'll even turn my headlamp off just so I'm, I'm out there. Mm-hmm. Very cool experience. It's yeah. Part of the cool part of running trails is a lot less distractions. Mm-hmm. Not a bunch of cars blowing by you, <laughs> all the traffic and all that. Yeah. So I kind of have a training question for Dane and John. Oh, this is probably four years ago. One night you guys went out downtown Greenville and had yourself a night. And you tried to have a night till like 2 or 3 a.m., and then woke up for like a 5 a.m. training run at Paris Mountain. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how that went? It's a better move. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, John. I think it was Mike Pastore that told us running, running over 24, we saw it somewhere that running 24 hours, that second half of it is like running with no sleep and a hangover. <laughs> so I, we're gonna I, remember, test the I remember something. So I remember doing something like that, like going out, um, having some drinks, and staying up super late, <laughs> and waking up super early to run, and kind of getting that feel. This was like what was this? Six it was years like ago? Four years ago? Four years ago? It was something like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It 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 makes you. <laughs> It gives you like an out of, out of body experience. It, it, it's just, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I think I have a, a, a good segue here for that. Oh, you want to add to that? Well, I was just going to say on a, on a more serious note other than just kind of 
post-college kids going out and drinking and then waking <laughs> up early and running, it, it kind of beats your body up physically in a dehydrated uh, state mm-hmm. than knowing that you have to wake up early on no sleep being dehydrated and still run for like another three or four hours. This is um, exceptional training advice. So I, I don't, I don't <laughs> recommend your body up. I don't recommend it whatsoever. Dehydrated. Um, we tried it and um, I guess it worked because you remember it so well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's when the Arkansas Traveler 100 you did was. <laughs> but what was that segue? Well, I want to hear this now. Let's take it to nutrition from this. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Some nutrition <laughs> advice for training for these long distances, training for trail races in general. We could maybe go around the table here and a piece of advice or your favorite piece of nutrition, what you use in your training. Scott, what do you say? Through the week, when I was training for any sort of big race, it's basically probably terrible advice again. I eat anything and everything. Uh, pizza, Calories, cream. right? The one thing that I craved was nerds. Ooh. Nerds. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so anytime I was having those real big weeks where I'd have a weekend with, you know, back-to-back long runs, uh, a couple packs of nerds, and I'd be set to go. God, yeah, that'll get you going. Please tell the listeners, what is your go-to drink when you're out there doing a trail uh, run or also post run um, drink i never enter a long trail run without some orange soda in hand oh. i always have it i'll have if i have a crew um i'll make sure they have it on hand if I'm, if I'm ever feeling down i drink one of those and just in general or on the trail <laughs> typically on the trail okay um, you know, because who does a who does a road marathon and drinks the? I just meant in life in life in general. I didn't know if that was no. Kind it's of like thing I don't. I hardly drink down. soda outside okay. of training. Yeah. So wow. it's really just with training, and uh, if I'm mid race, you know, I need to pick me up some nerds and some orange soda. God, it's the little things. Hmm. Kyle, what can you add to that? I don't know if you can top that. Well, and uh, you know, with with the marathon, a guy my my size, um, I can usually get away with. Two goose. You can get away with a lot on the on the roads, but once you get to the trail, it's something that you need to make sure that you're you're filling your glycogen levels. Um, trying to do probably about two or probably about two, if not three, goose and an hour. But the big thing for me, being a big guy with the amount of sweat, is sodium. So if mm-hmm. I ever get any aid station, I'm, I'm grabbing the potatoes, I'm, I'm putting in the salt, and if you got if you got those S caps or any kind of sodium caps you can get from run in, uh, preferably, it's a great way. It's real important just because you're going to be out there for who knows how long, so it's just important. Yeah, John. I say my rule of thumb is uh, to piggyback what Kyle said is the difference between running on the road and running on trails is you got to have about two to three times the amount of calories you do on the road versus the trail because you're spending a lot more time than you think you are moving like a uh, horizontal you know on the trails mm-hmm. like left and right as opposed to just on the road you're going straight so uh, you're spending a lot more energy than you think you are and that's my rule of thumb is if if I feel like I should have had a goo on the trails or I should have eaten something on the trails I'm already too late Ben so I haven't really ran far enough for nutrition to matter too much, but the two times I've ran you've under run. James Brooks's former course record. I was going to say, you haven't run far enough, but you've run fast enough, faster than James Brooks has ever done. Yeah, this is true. I knew from training, it's really weird, it's kind of close to Scott. I craved every time I went up the technical side of sulfur, I craved grape soda. Mm-hmm. So each time I had a can of yeah. grape soda at the top that I would drink. Really? Yeah. There you go. That's good stuff. Next to his orange soda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hanging out. Dane? What uh, John was saying, I really like that, is when you take nutrition in on the trail, um, when you're training for a road marathon, you might take it every four miles or every six miles or take your first gel at a half marathon point. Trails, it's different because four miles on the road it, and four miles on the trail, the time is going to be way different. Yeah. So you have to time that accordingly. But as far as food on the trail goes, I kind of think back to some of the ultras that I've done and some of the aid station foods they have. Mm-hmm. And I'm a really big fan of the chicken quesadillas. Oh, um, remember that pizza on Georgia Death Race? See, the pizza oh, on Georgia pizza. Death Race. Oh, oh my God. Fire. Um, yeah. Oh, so good. And also, uh. a lot of the times, the ultras, um, they'll have baked potatoes just cut up and literally a bowl of salt next to that baked potato. Yeah. You pick up that 
baked potato, drop it in the salt, roll it around, and put it in your mouth. It's mm. delicious. So good. It's like so good. The yes. real food. I do have to give a shout out though um, to the 16K uh, GTC Paris Mountain Race. They have, is it, yeah, it's the 16K. Mm-hmm. Pancakes. They have pancakes afterwards. Yeah, nice. Like from, um, I believe it's Stacks Original, but it's pancakes at the end of the race. So I just kind of love that kind of stuff, anything like that. We were having so much fun discussing the trail, so we kind of spilled over on this weekend's edition. We're going to split this into two and wrap up trail talk next week in addition to our NCAA championship recap. Thanks for listening to Mile 18 of the Seconds Flat podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts, please contact us at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Benjamin? closing thoughts i'm just beyond excited for this weekend gonna run some trail in the morning watch the ncaa meet and then cry myself to sleep because i never made it perfect i'll do the same and i will be thinking about you eating taquitos mid-race somewhere on a 50k next year we'll see everybody next week bye